Well, my name is Andrew. Uh, I am the Executive Director of Hope Resource Center, uh, and, and we're grateful to, uh, to be here with you. We come here every, every uh, once a year at least, and uh, there's a pastor in town that calls him Rod because Rodney is too hard. Well, our family doesn't even give him a name. They just call him the Pastor of Hardin Valley. So uh, when, when I met Rodney, uh, we met um, previous to his cancer diagnosis. It really got closer during that time, and I would just come home from lunches and different things and tell the family about uh, what his family was going through. And so we just called him the pastor of Hardin Valley, uh, and they prayed for the pastor of Hardin Valley. And then last night when I told them we would be visiting here this morning, uh, one of the kids asked, where are we going? And uh, my daughter said, well, the pastor of Hardin Valley's church. So, uh, so there you go. That's a resume builder. You can just put that that he's the pastor of the entire Hardin Valley area, and that's a, that's a great deal. So we're, we're grateful to know y'all and to know um, uh, his family and, and this church and, and the work that's being done. Thank you for that, that song. Uh, anytime there's a man with a guitar that has a little country twang, uh, I'm in. It doesn't really matter what you say in the song. Uh, so uh, grateful to hear that and, and to be here. So this, this past year, 2022, big year for, uh, for those of us at Hope Resource Center, those of us uh, that care deeply about the gospel and those of us that care deeply about life. For in 2022, on June 24th of 2022, uh, Roe was overturned. And that's a big deal. It's a big deal for this country. It's a big deal for the life of children, the life of moms, the life of dads. And so on June 24th, uh, a law that was the law of the land uh, since 1973. Actually, on January 22nd of 2023, it'll be 50 years since Roe was made the law of the land, and then June 24th last year, we saw that overturned. Uh, and so that's a big deal for life and for those of us that care deeply about, uh, about that. What that means for Hope Resource Center, Hope Resource Center, for those of you not familiar, we provide uh, pregnancy tests, ultrasounds, STD testing and treatment, well woman care, uh, annual exams for, for females. We do parenting education. We do uh, uh, mentoring. We, we do mom's class education for uh, first-time moms. We also do a dad's class, education and, and uh, uh, classes that, that encourage and challenge those men. Uh, that's a little bit different than our mom's class. Our mom's class meet at Hope Resource Center and we walk through what to expect in delivery and, and those type things. With the dads, we meet all over uh, the city of Knoxville. We meet in, uh, we've met at Matlock Tire right down the road and we talk through about checking fluids in a vehicle, changing a tire, basic stuff that maybe some of us take for granted because we had a dad that, that walked us through that. We, we, uh, we take them, we've, we've done it at a gym where we talked about health and fitness and getting good sleep, uh, which if any of you have children, you know that's difficult. And so we have to prioritize our sleep uh, and our health, but we've also walked them through budgeting and, and all those things because we want to call those men to something greater. Uh, as society says, men, you don't have a say in the matter. We want to say the opposite. Men, you do have a say, but you got to be there to, to have that say. And so what I often tell those guys is you're going to be uh, a hero, a ghost, or a villain. And so obviously as dads, we all want to be the hero. Uh, but for some of us, maybe we're the villain of the house. And, and when they hear our, our door shut, we, they, they get a little queasy of what kind of dad's going to come in the door. Or maybe we're the ghost. We're the one that's never there, never involved. And, and, uh, and so we want to encourage those guys to be the dads that they've been called uh, to be. And so every time I get a chance to speak about the work that we're doing, 
and, and every time January rolls around, it's Sanctity of Life Month, and we, we think through uh, what's going to be the focus. I could just spend time in Psalm 139 as we're knitted together in our mother's womb, and that's important, and that's biblical. And, and God says that He creates life, uh, and that's life at conception, that's life in the womb, that's the life of the mom, that's the life of the dad, that's the life of everyone involved. Uh, we, could, we could focus time there, certainly, but what I try to do is really pray through and discern what God would have uh, for me and, and what is God speaking to me in those moments and what is it good that, uh, that the church as a whole might hear during the Sanctity of Life Month. So this year, well, this past year, uh, was an election time, and I, I've said it here before, I was a political science major, I'm a bit, bit of a political nut, and so that, that's, that gets me fired up. The nerdiness inside of me is like watching the debates and reading about all that, that's going on uh, in Washington and in Nashville and our state capitol and even in other states, uh, because it, it uh, I guess I like to be angry. Uh, if I if I could be honest, and so when I listen to those things, that's to, and Aaron could uh, could vouch for that. When I listen to those things or watch the uh, the election results come in, I'm tend to I tend to just be angry. It doesn't matter if it's going my way or not. I just like to be argumentative and, and angry about those things. And so during the last year, the Lord has really put on my heart Romans one. And if you're familiar with Romans one. In that letter, Paul speaks about some hard truths, and he starts, in, and we're, we're going to be in Jonah, so, so don't feel like you have to camp out at Romans 1 right now. But, but Romans 1, what Paul is doing there is, is he's going through a, a bunch of things that makes the people unrighteous. And he says, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're, uh, you're, you're living against God, you're living against what the, bibli- the, the biblical worldview would say, what the Bible would say for us to do, and you're being unrighteous. And in verse 22, he says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And so when I hear that, I'm thinking, wow, that sounds like our current society. We have a lot of folks claiming to be wise, but they are fools. And, and if I'm honest, sometimes that's me. <laughs> I claim to be wise, and then I turn out I'm being foolish and selfish and the like. So the text goes further to really lay out the unrighteousness of the people uh, and, and these verses have just continued to populate my mind because we see unrighteousness all around us. And in that unrighteousness, we desire for justice. I mean, we are a, a people that want justice. We want wrongs to be righted. We want those that do wrong to uh, get the justice that they deserve. And if I'm honest, there's a part of me that wants to stop at Romans 1. And say, yes, God, get them. Get them. Give them what they deserve. Because that's how we're wired and built. Well, we, we know what's right. And we can look around us and, and point out all the wrongs. And we need to then say, God, get them. Give them what they deserve. So, sure, we got row overturned. But negative things keep piling up. If, if you pay attention to anything that's happening in our state, we got some folks that are seeking to water down even the law that we have on the books in the state of Tennessee, which is one of the strongest in the nation. Sure. The FDA just the other day quietly removed a provision that was uh, having some restrictions on how people could access abortion pills. And now, not in the state of Tennessee because of some laws that we have on the books, but in many states around the union, you'll be able to go to Walgreens, CVS, and pretty easily get the abortion pills. 
So we look around us, and even though we, we have a victory, we feel like with Roe being overturned, there's still a lot of work to do. And so as, as Romans 1 is populating my mind, and if, if you uh, get a chance, you should read Romans 1, but you also should read Romans 2 because then Paul kind of says, oh yeah, all that that I was saying about those bad people, you need to look in the mirror because that also sure, that's right. is geared toward you, which is very much convicting. But, but while I'm, I'm thinking through that and praying through that, the Lord brought Jonah to my mind. And if you're familiar with the book of Jonah, it's a short book. And if you've ever gone to Bible school anywhere, you probably heard about Jonah because he got swallowed by a big fish. And it's a fun story to talk about. Uh, but as an adult reading through it, it it's, not, it's not really that fun. Uh, it's, it's very convicting. And so as I, as I begin thinking through Romans 1 and, and looking at our culture and looking at the, uh, the politics and looking at the mess that is around us, uh, I begin fuming and getting angry. Anyone else ever seethe with anger as you look around at what's happening in our society? And, and, and for some of us, it's, well, I'll, uh, I'll just go build a cabin in the woods and yeah. disengage from everything, uh, which even when I say it out loud, sounds intriguing, but probably not what the Lord would have us do because we shouldn't be disengaging from the society if we have the greatest news that the society has ever seen, which is right. Jesus. So the, as I'm going through that, I thought about Jonah and I read the book and it's a short one again, and God began to convict me. So we know the story of the well and Jonah being swallowed up. We probably heard a version of this uh, hundreds of times, maybe thousands, depending on uh, how seasoned in life you are. But, but when, you, when you look at it in conjunction with Romans 1, it kind of opens your eyes a little bit. So look at Jonah 1. And it just starts, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. This is God talking to Jonah. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going. And so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them away from the presence of the Lord. So God calls Jonah to go. Hey, I need you to go to the city of Nineveh. I need you to go to that great city. They have turned against me and I need you to go and give them a word. And Jonah being... You know, the regular dude, yeah I, don't, yeah, I don't really want to do that. I'm just going to run as if we can run from God. You know, reading this, we think, well, of course you can't run from God. But we've all tried it. We've all tried to hide. I mean, even you can go back to Genesis and see that Adam and Eve did that very thing. What they do, sin happened, they ate the apple, and then they hid. God enters the garden, and he knew where they were, but they tried to hide. And in that moment, there was only two people on earth. And they, they thought they could hide from God, which was a bit silly. But God calls Jonah to go. Jonah flees. And, and let's, let's see how that worked out for him. And, and I'm sure you know the, the story, but let's run through it. Jonah gets on a boat, tries to hide from the presence of the Lord. Uh, while on the boat, God sends winds and storms because he's the author of everything. Uh, the crew of the boats, terrified, they call out to their gods, which that doesn't really work that well. No. So they start st throwing stuff overboard. 
And then, in the process, they find Jonah asleep in the, the belly of the ship. And they wake him up, and they're like, we've tried to call on all our gods, so let's wake up this dude who we don't really know who he is, and maybe he can call on his god. And they said, call on your god to spare us. And then in the process, Jonah just admits that, yeah, this storm is probably because of me. God told me to go to Nineveh. I didn't want to go to Nineveh. I got on the ship because I was fleeing. And then he says the interesting phrase, just throw me overboard. So Jonah's in such, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh so bad that he's saying, just toss me overboard and, and this will put an end to it. You'll be safe. And then I can just drown. And then they're, they're going back and forth. And, and finally, that is what happens. They toss Jonah overboard. But in the process, which is interesting, they're, they're screaming out to their gods. But then in the process, as Jonah says, toss me overboard, they then call out to Jonah's God and said, look, he told us to do this. Just in case you're the real God, we don't want you to like capsize us because we're throwing your man into the sea. He told us to do it, and at this point, we're all going to die or we're going to try this. And so they tossed Jonah overboard, and as soon as they did, the waves calmed. And then Jonah gets swallowed up by a fish, a whale. And while in the fish, Jonah prayed and gave God glory for sparing his life. So imagine that scene. You're, you're now inside of a well or a large fish, and, and you're just hanging out, because what else would you do, I guess, in a, in a large fish? And he starts praying. And then chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and Jonah was vomited up. Now, I'll be honest, I always pictured that Jonah came out of the blowhole of the well, which is not biblical, clearly. Um, but in my, all the Bible schools that I went to as a kid, that just seemed like it had been more fun if he'd have just kind of popped up out of the blowhole of the well. And uh, it would have been fun, I think, for all involved. Uh, probably even more fun for Jonah. Uh, but, but that's not what happened. It was, it, he was vomited up. And then chapter 3 starts where chapter 1 started. He says, arise and go to Nineveh. So God didn't get off the mission that was set out before. That's right, yeah. Even though all these things happen in between, still the plan is, yeah, Jonah probably thought, look, okay, I was thrown overboard. I got swallowed up by fish. Then this fish vomited me up. God's probably going to forget about the whole Nineveh thing. And instead, the next morning, God says, Arise and go to Nineveh. And this time Jonah did listen. And so look at chapter 3, starting with verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in the ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? 
God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So Jonah was obedient. He did go to Nineveh. He didn't water it down. He just went in and said, y'all keep this up, and you're going to be overthrown. God's going to bring down the hammer. He didn't compromise his beliefs or seek to stroke the ego of the king. Instead, he told them what they didn't want to hear, but what they needed to hear. And the interesting thing is, they listened. They actually listened. And they, I love what the king did, because the king is not not leaving anything to chance. It's not just going to be the nobles that are fasting. It's not just going to be the rich. It's going to be the poor. It's going to be everything in between. But it's not just going to be humans. It's going to be the animals. The animals will not eat. We're going to do everything we possibly can to show God that we were wrong and we were going the wrong direction. And then, and then he even asked the question, and maybe if we do this, God will relent. And so verse 10 is, is truly something when it says God relented of this disaster. So, obviously, Jonah's happy, right? I mean, Jonah went and did what he was told to do, and the people were saved and spared. I mean, as any disciple-making, God-loving, gospel-preaching person, you are ecstatic when people listen, and when people relent and repent of where they're going, you're going to be pumped about that as gospel people. They teach that in seminary, right? Be happy when people are saved. But that's not what happened. It said, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly in chapter 4. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it be better that I die than to live. And the Lord said, do you well? Do you do well to be angry? Hmm. So you have a prophet that is taking the good news to a broken people, to an entire city, that God said, if someone doesn't change their ways, I'm going to demolish every living thing in that city. And Jonah says, I'm not going there. And then the whole well thing happened. He's like, okay, I'll go. And then he goes. And instead of being the guy that's walking away going, man, it worked. Well, you know, the city that was in despair, the city that was living in unrighteousness, the city that was doing everything against God actually changed their ways. And now we have a city that is celebrating who God is. Instead, Jonah walked away unhappy saying, just kill me, God. This is why I didn't want to go, because I knew how good you were. So Jonah appreciated God's steadfast love for him, but not for the people that he despised. Sure, that's good. That's right. Why? Because they aren't worthy of that kind of love. That's why Jonah didn't want to go. 
Jonah didn't want to go because he knew how powerful God was. Well, I don't want to go to that city because I know, I know God, I know what you'll do. You'll save them. You'll spare them. And the last thing I want you to do is spare those people. The last thing I want you to do is do a mighty work. I want you to get rid of them. I want them to get what they deserve. They should get their just due. Or as my grandpa would say, the, their come-upness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they should pay for their evil ways. You see any parallels here in our current society? Right, that's right. I know I do. I can't speak for y'all. But I can speak for my heart. Sometimes my conversations where me and my dad are talking on the phone, ranting and raving about politics. And some of the things we say. So when I read this, I'm going, yeah, I'm, I, I can relate, Jonah. I can relate. Because if I'm honest, there are people, there are groups, there are folks that hold certain politics that there are moments where I'm like, no, they need to get what they deserve. Or someone wants to say something bad about me or my family or, you know, because we drive a church van and homeschool and, you know, and there's some, sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, no, you'll see, you'll get what you deserve one day. Mm-hmm. Instead of a, man of God, I want you to save them. That's right. That's right. Amen. It's a, hey, God, don't, don't pull them out of that depth. So, so at times we get angry because someone is saved that we don't think deserves it. That the culture doesn't deserve the love God is giving. I mean, I, I do that. Which is why God convicted me as I'm reading Romans 1 and going, yeah, Romans 1. We're living right in the middle of it and God's about to give all y'all what you deserve. And what I don't realize is the all y'all, that includes me. Right. Includes my family. Like, like literally includes family members of mine that disagree with me on a number of things. And so we have to wrestle with that. Because if we're going to be about life when it comes to Sanctity of Life Month, well, it, it certainly is about life in the womb, but it, it's also eternal life. It's so much more than just the topic of the day. So when I was faced with the hard truth, I was shown a a blind spot in my life. Do I truly want to see revival and heart change in a people that I dislike, in a culture, in opposition to the truth, to what God has for us? Do I truly want that? So in wrestling with that, I was reminded to just look in the mirror. And the guy looking back at me doesn't deserve salvation either. The guy looking back at me deserves hell, but God saw otherwise. That's right. That's right. Amen. And so if he can save me, he can save anyone. That's, that's all of our testimony. That's right. I mean, even the one that wrote Romans 1, Paul, you think about his story. He called himself the chief of sinners. And when Jesus met him and saved him, What was Paul doing? He was searching for people 
that were following Jesus so that he could arrest them or worse, kill them. If you'll remember, he was holding the coats of the folks that stoned Stephen after he gave his very first message. Paul's there. Well, after Jesus meets Paul, saves him, Jesus then sends Ananias to go see him. And what did Ananias say? Kind of had a Jonah moment. Yeah, are you sure? Are we talking about the same dude? You know, because then it probably was confusing. Is this Saul? Is it Paul? He became Paul and, and all these things. And Ananias just wanted to make clear, you're wanting me to go see the dude that was holding jackets as Stephen was being stoned, that's, that's actively seeking us out to arrest and maybe do worse to us. You want me to go see him. And then Ananias did it. And then the scales came off of Paul's eyes. And then Paul became one of the greatest missionaries the earth has ever seen. The reason why we're here today a lot has to do with what Paul did. So Paul also alludes to this in Romans 2 as he tells the people, in essence, look in the mirror. I just spent Romans 1 telling you about all the nonsense that's happening and all the unrighteousness. And you can imagine they're like getting fired up. Yeah, that's why we're here. We're to, we're to give justice. And then he, Romans 2 goes, and that's also happening among you. It's happening in your life. So Jonah's wrestling with this truth continues through chapter 4. And the book ends with a question that I think we all should answer. Because the interesting thing about this, this book of the Bible is it doesn't have a nice little bow at the end of it. It's not where, where Jonah goes, God, thank you for opening my eyes to my brokenness. Thank you for opening my eyes to uh, the unrighteousness in my own heart, the hate for my neighbor in my own heart. Because if you remember in Jonah, in the, in the last chapter, Jonah is sitting and it's hot and he's in the desert and he's just wanting some shade. And a plant grows up, a tree grows up overnight, provides shade. And Jonah has relief from the sun. And then what does God do? He kills, the, <laughs> he kills it. And then Jonah's mad again. How could you kill this plant, God? And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So what God's saying to Jonah is, You are upset that I got rid of a plant, that you did nothing to grow, but you're mad that I saved over 120,000 people in the city. Not to mention all the cattle. They remember, they were fasting as well, which is interesting, but they were fasting as well. So oftentimes we don't really want God to show pity on those being disobedient. Oh, please, please save my kids, God, but... That little boy that's bullying my little boy, don't you know, give him what he deserves. 
please save my wife, my husband, God, but that person I work with is just constantly is bothering me. Send them where they need to go. We have these thoughts in these uh, and they become to us as a, as a righteous thought. We think they're righteous thoughts. Give them what they deserve. I'll be going to D.C. in a couple weeks for some meetings. It's going to be a large march. And, and I've gone to the, the March for Life. Half a million people are there. I've gone to it multiple times. And there's always folks that are uh, not there to, to March for Life, but they're there to... Uh, hurl insults and say terrible things to those that are marching for life. The question is, when I'm involved in those things, is my heart looking over and saying, man, I, I hope God grabs a hold of them? Or is my heart looking over them saying, man, I can't wait. I can't wait for you to get what you deserve. That's not gospel. That's sin. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I spoke at a rally one time on the steps of the Supreme Court. It was a big case facing pregnancy centers and they asked me to speak. And so I went and spoke and, and literally like we, we had our group here, or it'd be like this. This section was all the pro-lifers. And this section, that's how close we were, were all those in favor of abortion. We both were, had podiums like this and we were speaking. And I'm trying to speak and I can hear everything they're saying because they're screaming really loud, hateful things about the the redheaded man that's speaking about abortion. Even to the point my mom was watching on Facebook Live and she was like, they were saying some awful things about my baby. I was like, yes, they were. You should have been there. They're saying a lot of bad things about your baby. And after I got done, um, it, was, it was a rainy, cold day in D.C. and I was not dressed for that. And so I was freezing, but I was like, I'm here. I got to stick it out. And, and I'm standing at the back after I got done and a woman who doesn't know, I just got through speaking about the issue of life. She comes over from the abortion proponent side. And she just sees a guy that looks cold. And she says, are you cold? And I was like, I'm freezing, actually, yes. And uh, she's like, well, maybe you need to go get some, you know, go get in somewhere or something like that. And I thought in that moment, she had no idea. I knew where she come from, but she had no idea. I was just saying things that she would really, really be upset about. And in just that moment had a, I'm sorry you're cold. I wish you could find some warmth. And I thought, what are we doing? Because just a little bit ago, you wanted to rip my head off. And I probably wanted to rip your head off. And so when I go to D.C. in, in a couple weeks, there'll be some folks there that I'm going to have to be constantly wrestling with my own heart of how much I want to engage. When we had our anniversary last year, I asked Erin where she wanted to go, and I said, you want to go to Market Square? A lot of nice restaurants down there. She's like, I'd love to go to Market Square, but not with you. And I was like, well, that's okay. <laughs> but the reason why she said that is because if there's protesters down there, it's not going to be a fun night. Because my personality is one not, I want to engage. And on anniversary night, that is probably not a good time to engage. Probably not going to be good for the news cameras either. But that's, that's not me saying I want to see their heart change. That's me saying out of anger and pride, I want to show them how wrong they are. 
I want to embarrass them in front of everyone. And I want to let them know I'm not going to back down. Now, as gospel people, there are going to be moments where we certainly do not need to back down. We do not need to water down the truth. When Jonah entered Nineveh, he did not water down the truth. He said the hard things. But that, that doesn't take away, we got to do it in a loving manner. So oftentimes we really want God to show pity on us, but we don't want him to show pity on others. We forget about our own testimony, our own struggles, our own issues, our own fallenness. So the question is, what do we do? In a society that seems to be going in a direction that is anti-everything the church stands for, even now we're seeing some churches go in a direction that traditionally the church would not stand for. Right. That's right. So the question is, what do we do? Well, we go and share the greatest news the world's ever known. That's right. That the God of the universe did what we couldn't do. He provided a mediator in Jesus to live a perfect life, down a cross for our sins, and raised three days later. He did that for you. He did that for me. He did that for the politician that you despise, for the neighbor that upsets you, for the person that cuts you off in traffic. And that's hard. For the family member that brings up all the bad things at Thanksgiving dinner. And so what we have to come to understand is he can and will save whom he wants. And we all should be grateful that it's not up to me or you to do the saving. And what a blessing it is to see lives change forever. When disobedience turns to obedience, death turns to life, and grace abounds for sinners like me and you. That's news worth sharing. That's That's news worth focusing on during Sanctity of Life Month. So we recognize the unrighteousness around us and in our own lives, and we call for God to step in in all of those scenarios and situations because we care deeply about what God would have for us. So the call isn't to condemn everyone around you that you dislike because they deserve hell, because the reality is so do you. That's why I appreciated the song you sang. That's why I appreciate what you said earlier. And that's a hard truth for us to grasp. But we cannot get salvation apart from Jesus and the grace that he offers. And so as you contemplate and think about our society, our culture, uh, Roe v. Wade, abortion, life, and everything in between, may we remember that the God of the universe is in control of it all. And what we're going to point people to is His truth. That's right. And the reality is justice will come. That's it, yeah. That's right. And apart from Jesus, none of us want true justice. That's right. That's exactly right. I can assure you.